If you've got your Bibles handy, you can go ahead and open up. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, We will be finishing the chapter, verses 26 through 40. Uh, For those of you keeping track at home, you know that our topic of conversation is order, chaos, as it relates to tongues and prophecy. And if you lived at my house last night when you asked me, sitting around the kitchen table, hey, what are we talking about at church on um, tomorrow? And I said, well, we're talking about the order of worship in tongues and prophecy. And Aubrey would have said, again? We've talked about that a lot. Aren't we done with that? And then she proceeded to tell me everything I said last week. So good for her. Right? And she's like, look, I listened. Here's everything I need to know about tongues and prophecy. And so I should be able to watch from home tomorrow. I said, well, no, you're still going to come to church because Paul still has some stuff to teach us, right? Paul is still talking about this because he still wants us to know some things, right? And as we finish up today, we are, we are continuing Paul's treatment of these sign gifts. Remember, sign gifts are the gifts that are prophetic in nature, that are um, demonstrative of God in, uh, in, in the way they come out. There are a lot of spiritual gifts, Many of the spiritual gifts are behind-the-scenes gifts, or they are more intimate or personal gifts. The gift of evangelism, for example. Now, you may have somebody like Billy Graham who will stand on a stage with the gift of evangelism and will preach the gospel to stadiums and countries full of people, right? More likely, the way the spiritual gift of evangelism works itself out in your life is that you are comfortable having awkward conversations with people that you don't know well, right? Or maybe even people that you've known for a while, but awkward conversations about spiritual things and you're willing to step into them and you can do that seamlessly. The gift of evangelism might manifest itself in either of those ways, but typically it's a more intimate kind of a gift, What Paul's talking about with these spiritual gifts that we're dealing with is he's talking about these ones that seem to be manifesting themselves in the church in a very public kind of a way, specifically prophecy in tongues. Just to clarify, okay, the gift of prophecy is where I feel like God has given me something in my heart to share with either a room full of people Very often it's to share with a small group of people or one person, right? And and I want to be clear about the gift of prophecy. It is different than I feel like I want you to know something. Sometimes the gift of prophecy gets confused and we feel like God is prompting me in my spirit to share this with everybody when really it's just I had a thought that I want to share, right? And there's nothing wrong with having a thought that you want to share. It might be an awesome thought. And it might be helpful to share it, right? Oftentimes when David comes up here um, and he starts a worship service, he starts by saying, um, hey, here's something I was thinking about. And I'm going to share it with you because I think it'll be helpful. That is not a prophetic message. That is something on his mind that he wants to share with you. There's a difference, If I'm speaking to you and I'm preaching and I'm opening up the word of God and what I say makes you think of something, that's not necessarily God giving you a message to share as much as it is the way the brain works, right? That something I said caused this memory and the neurons are firing and you're like, oh, I made a connection. Maybe it's appropriate to share that at some point. Maybe it's just a connection that you've made. But Wanting to say something and having a thought is different than a prophecy. A prophecy prophecy is when God clearly communicates to your heart and he instructs you and commands you to communicate that to a targeted audience. Right? There's a difference. Tongues, when we talk about tongues, what Paul has said is that tongues are are designed to... Tongues are designed... Well, they're, they're for a couple different reasons. One is there is a tongue in scripture that is a private prayer language, right? It would be tongues that I, I, that to the outside person sound nonsensical, right? It doesn't make a coherent word that I can understand or a thought that I can understand. It's just between me and God. It's this private thing. If you pray in a private prayer language, okay, I ain't mad at you. Go for it. If you don't, cool, not mad at you. 
you don't need to. Right? It's not a marker of spirituality. It's just a, a thing. Um, but when Paul is talking about tongues in the worship service, tongues in corporate service, he's not talking about a private prayer language. He's talking about something that's almost like prophecy. God would prompt somebody's heart to speak for him. And when they would speak for him, what would come out is a language they don't know how to speak. And then oftentimes that's a language that exists in the world. You just don't know it. For example, if God prompted my heart to say a specific thing and I opened my mouth to say it and it came out in French, was my example last week, right? It came out in French. I don't speak French, right? Why would that happen? Why would God do that? Well, maybe because somebody in the congregation would speak that language and it would minister to their heart. They could translate it. They could share it. And it would be this great thing that God did amongst us. We're not going to have that happen all that often here in this context because we all pretty much speak the same language. Okay? Sometimes, and while I haven't experienced this, right, I, I trust people that have. Sometimes what may happen is God may prompt the, the person in their heart to speak and what comes out of their mouth is a language they don't know and it's actually not a language that's known. It's what we would call an angelic or a heavenly language, in which case somebody in the congregation would have to be prompted in their heart to interpret that language, interpret it so that it could be helpful for everybody. These are the things that Paul's addressing, right? This is what Paul's talking about when he's continually having the conversation about tongues and prophecy and which one's better and what they're for and how they work. Right? And as we get to chapter 14, he's going to talk about how they lay out in an order of service. Now, here's the thing I want you to know as we do this. The whole point that Paul makes in all of this, the whole crux of the issue, there's going to be some things that are hard to understand and we're going to do our best to wade through them. But the whole thing that he's talking about is that no matter what, we need to avoid chaos. That in a corporate setting, when we are worshiping and bringing glory to God, that we ought to have enough self-control and enough order that we are not being chaotic. Right? Because God is a God of order. He has ordered the universe. He's ordered us as people. He's ordered life as we know it. And a service for him ought to be ordered as well. That's, this is the whole crux of Paul's argument is that order matters. And you know, chaos is hard. You ever been in a crazily awful chaotic environment? We don't like them, right? They get hard after a while. Even if, even if the frenzy is, is fun for a minute, it, it stops. Here's the deal. Growing up, the most chaotic thing I ever had to do was go to Thanksgiving dinner at Grandma and Grandpa Hans's house. And the reason that Grandma and Grandpa Hans's house was so chaotic is for a couple of reasons. One, because that house was not designed for 40 people. It had about maybe 750, 800 usable square feet of space. And we put about 40 people in there. Also, my grandma, bless her heart, you know what that means, right? bless her heart, she didn't believe in the air conditioning units. Right? And, and so, and it was, it, I mean, Thanksgiving is the end of November. It's chilly. And when it's chilly, grandma liked to have the thermostat at 85. Grandma, it's going to be hot in here today. Maybe you should turn one of the air conditioners, turn it off, do something. No, 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 no. Thermostat's at 85. Right? Then we turn on the ovens. Then we put 40 people in the room. Listen, it was brutal. And I don't know if you know the Hanses very well. See, you only know us. And some of you think we're a bit much. Like, you're like, I've met Matt, Carey, Riley, Travis, Aubrey. They are a bit much. Yeah, but we are on the quiet end of the spectrum when it comes to the Hans family. We were the quiet ones. Some of you are like, Matt, you're really loud. I know. You can imagine what they sounded like. And you put us all in a room. 
And, and, and it's 85 degrees until everybody gets in and, the thing, and it's at 100 degrees when all of the ovens are going and everything's happening. And people are shouting and they're loud and it's chaotic and it's awful. I was telling first service one year, so bad, none of us wanted to touch the thermostat because we were scared. You didn't make grandma mad, right? Except Carrie. Carrie didn't care. She didn't care one little bit. She turned it down to 50. She's like, this is crazy. Turn it down to 50. And it stayed warm enough in there the whole time for everybody. The problem is she forgot to turn it back. Everybody went home. My dad got a phone call from grandma in the middle of the night that the furnace was broken and he needed to come quick. It was freezing. So he came, of course. It was like 3 in the morning and he goes over to grandma's house to mess with it and, um, and notices what happened. But because he didn't want to admit it, turned the thermostat back up to 80-something, took a hammer and banged down a a few things down by the furnace. He's like, I fixed it. And so the problem with that was every time something happened, she'd call him to come fix it as well as he did last time, and he couldn't. But it was chaotic. It was loud. It was so bad that when you got all the tables and chairs out that if you were on this end and you wanted, like, another drink from the kitchen, you'd actually have to go outside, walk around the house... And go in the kitchen door to be able to get another drink and then come all the way back around. Good memories, but chaotic. So bad that as soon as we could, we tried to get out of there sometimes. Because as much as we loved those people and, and, and we wanted to enjoy this, it was, it was loud and painful. And we always had to go get film. My brother, my cousins, we tell my mom, mom, this is back when cameras had film. It was back when cameras weren't on your phone. Such a time existed. Right? And so you say, Mom, we're out of film. We got to go get more film. And then when digital cameras were a thing, we're like, Mom, we got to go get batteries. Because we were anxious to get. Listen, chaos and worship are enemies. Chaos and worship are enemies. This is Paul's whole point that chaotic environments do not lead to good worship of God. Please keep that in the front of your mind as we start to get into what all of this is. Okay, and here's what he says as he starts. Starting in verse 26. He's talked about all of the spiritual gifts. And he says, so what then, brothers? So what does it look like? Right, we've talked about the gifts. We've said that we're all part of this body, right? You're all part of a body that has spiritual gifts, right? And and by the way, being part of the body does not mean showing up on Sunday. One of the reasons we get so upset about our spiritual gifts in corporate worship is because we think showing up at corporate worship is what it means to be part of the body. But no, no, no. Paul says you're part of a body. This is a body of Christ. It's moving. It's active. It does things. It doesn't just show up and participate in worship. It's active. Not just here, but it's, it's good for all of this together. And he says, so what then? When you come together as a body, when the body does come together, right, what do we do? And he says, well, some of you come together. Each one of you brings something. One of you brings a hymn to sing and share. One of you brings a lesson. Somebody else has a revelation to share, right? Maybe somebody has a tongue, or if there's a tongue, somebody else has an interpretation, right? He says, whatever it is, it's all fine and good in this context, says, whatever it is, let it all be done in order. Let it all be done in proper order and for the building up of the church. Everything that we do, remember, is supposed to be for the building up of the body. So Paul's giving us a little snapshot into what their services were like. Okay, now you're like, Matt, that doesn't look like our service. I know, and that's okay. Right, because their service in the first century church did not look like this. It was not a room with a platform and, and musicians that were leading us in corporate worship and a pastor that was leading us in a sermon and those things. So it, this necessarily looks different than that did. Now we can have a discussion about whether it was better then or it's better now or any of those things, right? That's not the point of this. The point of this is to say that yes, ours doesn't look like that. You know what looks like that? You know what can look like that? It's our small groups. In fact, a lot of what the early church looked like, a lot of what it was, was small groups. Remember, the church didn't meet in church buildings, right? The church met in homes, and homes weren't large enough to gather 200 people together. We couldn't live stream a service so everybody could see it from their home. It's not how it worked, 
right? The church gathered in different homes, and so you necessarily had small gatherings. The church consisted of small groups of people in homes. That's how they gathered. And when they gathered in those groups, and when they gathered in that context, everybody would be open to what God had for them to bring to the worship. And for somebody, maybe it was nothing this time. But for some, maybe it was a hymn. Maybe it was a tongue. Somebody else maybe was there that God prompted to interpret. Maybe it was a prophetic thing. Maybe it was a lesson from the Old Testament they wanted to share. Maybe it was a revelation that God had explained to them and, and put on their hearts. Maybe it was a testimony of what great thing God had done. Everybody would come prepared with something to participate together in worship. And it was all fine and good, Paul says, as long as... It was orderly and it was for the building up of the church. He keeps going. He says specifically now about tongues. If any of you speak in a tongue, right, let it be two, maybe three, right? right? He's limiting this, right? He's like, this is not what church is about. Church is not a place for you to excel at speaking in tongues. That might be part of what you do, but that's not what you're doing as you gather together. So let there be only two or at most three and take turns, each in turn, and let somebody interpret, right? So if you're going to speak in tongues in the worship service, it's not everybody just starts speaking in tongues. And that's what it looked like, right? People would start talking over each other, right? Like, like, like Josh would, would, would have something and he would start speaking in tongues and Kathy would be like, well, I got one too, and would, would start talking over him. And, and then over here, you know, Mike would start speaking and over him and all of a sudden we would have all of this chaos, people going at once and speaking in these things. And Paul says, stop that, that's chaotic. Chaotic doesn't honor God. God is not a, a God of chaos, he's a God of order. Two, maybe three at most, and let them take turns. And only if there's interpretation. If there's no one to interpret, this is what he says in 28, if there's no one to interpret, then let him stay silent. And they can just talk to themselves and talk to God in their tongue. You know what that tells me? And this flies in the face of some of the things that I've heard, or that maybe you've heard about movements of the Holy Spirit, that they're never out of your control. They're never out of your control. Because Paul very clearly says here, if there is nobody in the assembly that is prepared to interpret your tongue, then you keep it to yourself. Right? That is not God moving in your heart so much that you just have to stand up and shout it out and you can't control it. No, of course you can. Right? Because it's supposed to be done with order. And if there's nobody there to interpret, you don't even get to share it. It's the way it works. Okay, he keeps going. Then when it gets to prophecy, he says, okay, same thing with prophets. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Right? Again, two or three. We're not, he's like, not everybody gets to talk over each other when it comes to prophecies. And when a prophecy is shared, there's this extra thing. We actually have to weigh it. Right? The weighing of something is, is the determination of its value. Right? So, so just because something is shared doesn't mean that it's gold or that it's valuable or that it's great. It has to be weighed. It has to be measured. It has to be checked. It has to be talked about. And even if it has value, it still needs discernment. Right? How many times have you been reading the Bible and you read something and you got to the end of the passage and you thought to yourself, I have no idea what he just said. I don't know what any of that means. So just because there is a word or a prophecy doesn't mean that we just automatically all get it. So Paul says, we have to weigh what is said. We have to deal with it. Right? One, we have to test its value. We'll get to that in a second. And then two, we have to do something with it. We have to talk about it. We have to have dialogue about it. We have to discern it. We have to, dis we have to somehow take what was said and then teach about it. Okay? He says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first person be quiet, right? That makes sense, right? It's just doing it in order, right? If you're giving a revelation, a prophecy, and you're saying it, and then somebody else has one and they start talking, then just quiet down and let them finish, right? One at a time. 
For you can all prophecy one by one so that we all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. There's that little section in there that gets a lot of confusion. um, and, And it's actually going to help us clarify one of these weird things that Paul says about women being quiet. We'll get there in a second because it's a verse that's in there and, and some of you already know it's in there and you're waiting for me to talk about it and others of you are going to be surprised that it's in there and you're going to get mad at Paul. Don't. We'll get there. We'll deal with it. We're actually going to deal with it at the end. We, we, we'll, we'll, I promise. Everything will be answered in some way before we leave. But here's what he says. He says, the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. I want you to think about what that means. The fact that the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets means that you don't know my heart. You don't know where I am with God. There is no discernible way for you to know if I have humbled myself and submitted myself to the God of the universe that I am walking in step with the Holy Spirit. You don't know that. When we've gathered on a Sunday morning, many of you I had a chance to talk with throughout the course of this week and we've shared life together, but many of you I haven't. Many of you, the last time I saw you was last Sunday. You don't know. So if I stand up here and I say, here is what God wants you to know, and I'm just talking, Right? And you don't have a New Testament because this didn't exist at that time. You don't have a New Testament to judge it against. How do you know? How do you know if what I'm saying is true or valuable or right? Paul says you have to test these things because not everybody that says they speak for God, listen to me, not everybody that says they speak for God actually speaks for God. Here's what John says, 1 John 4, dear friends, Don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit of God. Don't believe everybody who claims to speak by the Spirit of God. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have actually comes from God. Because there are many false prophets in the world. And there are two kinds of false prophets. They still exist today. Some of them are intentionally false. They are telling you things by the power of Satan, by the enemy, that are untrue. Some are inadvertently false. They are people that genuinely think they're hearing from God, but what they're saying can't possibly be from God because it doesn't jive. And Paul says, we can't just assume Right? Don't just trust everybody who says they're speaking by the Spirit of God because some people aren't. False prophets are real. Be careful. So what Paul says is you have to, you have to evaluate the prophecies. You can't just assume they're all real. I, I've been given multiple prophecies in my life as a Christian, especially as a pastor. When I say given, I don't mean given by God. I've been given by people who came to me and said, Matt, God wants me to tell you. God wants me to tell you. Some of them have jived with scripture and they were appropriate and encouraging. And I can just say this, thank you. Thank you, God, for encouraging my heart in that way. Thank you, person, for being obedient and sharing what God laid on your heart. There have been some occasions where people have told me, Matt, I have a word from God for you. And one specifically, I can tell you that the word from God that they gave me contradicted the will of God that I read in the Bible. So here's what I could say. Dismissed. Away from me. You're either wrong about what God wants you to tell me or you're lying to me about the fact that you had a word from God. Either way, I don't want it because it contradicts scripture. And then on one occasion, I had somebody, it was actually my first Sunday here. 
Um, our, our installation Sunday. So we came, and Riley came. She was at UNI at the time, and she brought a friend with her. And, 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 and I don't know if the friend was just trying to be extra impressive to me or whatever, but, but she, she came to me after the service, or before the service, I guess, and she's like, hey, you know what? God has given me a word that I need to give to you right now. And I said, okay, I mean, I mean, if, I'm going to argue with you. Give me the word that God wants me to have. Like, I'm, I'm, I like stuff from God. Like, that's cool. And here's what she said. She said, I know that you're feeling like you made a mistake in coming here. But you didn't make a mistake. This is where God wants you to be. I'm like, wow. That would have been really encouraging to my spirit if I had actually been thinking that I made a mistake in coming to Blessed Hope in Vinton. But actually, the exact opposite was true. The exact opposite was true. I was feeling so confident in my decision that morning, especially as we went through that, as we were there, as this was this installation service, I was feeling so confident that God had been so clear that she had this word for me that I think she thought I wanted to know but it wasn't rooted in anything real. And so I think we, we have to discern. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Now, was it sinful what she said? No. It just wasn't from God. Because God knows how I'm feeling. He knows my heart. It didn't encourage me as much as it frustrated me. We keep going, right? Now, some of you are like, my Bible has 34 after 33. I know it does. And we will deal with 34 and 35, I promise. The reason, I'm going to tell you why, I'm leaving them to the end. Because Paul says some things that as soon as we read them, it's going to cause two things to happen. Some of you, it's going to make you angry. And others of you, it's going to make you elevate it to the most important thing in this chunk of Scripture. It is not there to make you angry, and it is in no way, shape, or form the most important thing in this chunk of Scripture. So we are going to deal with it, but I'm going to wait. I want to deal with the most important thing, and the most important thing here is order. And in context of that order right now, Paul's talking about clarifying prophecies and are they real, right? Because he said, let the prophets give it, but then they have to be judged and weighed to see whether or not they're of value. And he said, you know what? That's necessary and that's important. And then he says this, right? Or was it from you that the word of God came? Paul right now is answering the questions, right? He's answering, he's rebuking the person that would say, like, I don't need you, Paul. The Holy Spirit talks to me too. Like, I don't need you to be an authority over me. I don't need the Old Testament prophets. I don't need that stuff. God talks to me. I don't need you. And Paul's saying, you can't really believe that, right? Was it really from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it's reached? No, of course not. The word of God is consistent, and it's clear, and it does not contradict itself. So you can't sit here and say, I have a new and exciting revelation from God, and I'm going to share it if it doesn't jive with everything else that we have. You don't get to do that. You don't get to dismiss what Paul has said because I'm hearing from God something better. We got people all the time right now that want to dismiss things in Scripture because we believe God's given us something better. That God has very clearly said in his word that this is the way it's supposed to be, that these things are not okay, that this is the way we are to move forward. But I believe God's told me something better, so I'm going to share it. Paul says you don't get to do that. The word of God didn't originate with you. It didn't come to you alone. You don't exist in isolation. He says, and if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, then he has to acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command from the Lord, Right? There are two things that the, the, the early church had going for it in terms of discerning whether or not a prophecy was real or not. They had the Old Testament. They had the words of the Lord in the Old Testament. For them, that was just their scriptures, right? They had the scriptures, and they had what we call the apostolic tradition, right? Apostolic tradition is just a fancy way of saying what the apostles had been teaching, 
what the apostles had been teaching. They had apostolic tradition, what the apostles had been teaching, and they had the Old Testament. Paul says, you cannot come up with something new that contradicts that. And if you're really a prophet, you'll know that. And if you act like that's not true, then you're not really a prophet. In fact, he says this, if you don't recognize that, then nobody will recognize you. You could say, I am a prophet of God, I'm a prophet of God. But if you don't recognize that you have to line up with scripture and the apostolic tradition, then no one will recognize you as a prophet. Now, let me tell you why this matters to us. Because today, we have churches... Whole denominations of churches. And I, I, we're, we're not, I'm not here to, to pick fights with, with any other bodies of believers. I'm not here to pick fights with leadership. I just tell you what I, what, what I think I understand here. We have churches that have elevated something other than the word of God and apostolic tradition to the forefront. A question to ask when you go to any church. A question to ask the leadership. What do we believe? And where is our authority? Right? And if what we believe isn't the word of God, and our authority isn't the word of God, then I have to start to wonder, is it really something that I want to be a part of? If I've got tradition of men or I've got secret knowledge that I have that you don't have, but trust me, it's true. If I've got those kinds of things that are guiding our principles and our beliefs and our behavior, there's a problem. And now I want to tell you this with all due sincerity. I love you. I love you. But I said during the first service, and then I felt bad, and then I didn't feel bad, and so now I'm going to say it again. I will punch the next person that tells me. It'll be a holy punch. Right? Out of love. But the next person that tells me, Matt, we basically believe the same thing as the Jehovah's Witness church down the street. We basically believe the same stuff as the Mormon church. We don't, we don't, we don't, it's basically the same stuff. No, listen to me. It's not basically the same stuff. Paul would very clearly say no. In fact, Isaiah says no. Look what Isaiah says. Look to God's instruction and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. If you are bringing me new secret knowledge that you have that is not compatible with what the word of God says, then you don't have light and wisdom to give me. You are living in darkness and are trying to get me to buy into your darkness. And we do not believe basically the same stuff. And I don't want to really punch you. And I'm not really gonna. But stop it. Like, this is what we have to get ourselves wrapped around here. Listen, this is Paul's whole point in talking about prophecy here. One is correct order. But two, in that moment, like, if somebody tells you, I have a word from the Lord, it has to be vetted. It has to be understood. It can't just be accepted. Like, I have a word for you. Like, I mean, I hesitate to say this, right? Because in this day and age, when everything is recorded, everything can be taken out of context. So... I hate to even say this, but you'll trust me. But, but this would be like me standing in front of the church and saying, I have a word from the Lord for you. And the word from the Lord is that we focus too much on Jesus. And it's time for us, instead of focusing on Jesus, to focus in on, on, on just doing good deeds. Whether we love Jesus or not isn't important. What's important is what we do. And I could tell you, look, that's a message from the Lord and if you don't vet that, all of a sudden we have a whole church that is a whole lot less worried about Jesus and a whole lot more worried with, let's just go do some good stuff out there. I mean, I could stand up here. I've had people tell me I, that God has told me that whether you believe in Jesus or you believe in Buddha or you believe in Allah or whatever you believe in, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. Like God didn't tell you that. Because that doesn't jive with the word of God that says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. 
Like you can't have it both ways. Paul says this matters. You've got to be able to do that. New revelation is dangerous. And it has to be weighed and talked about. And if it's contrary to God's instructions and teachings, then it's false and it's dark. And he finishes this chunk by saying, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy. Sure, we've talked about that. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Okay. Um, But all things should be done decently and in order. Right? You're a body. Love first. Love is primary. Love is the most important thing. Love one another well as you actively work in the body to build one another up. Right? Earnestly desire these prophetic things because that's how God is communicating to the church at that time. If somebody wants to speak in tongues, don't be mad at them. Right? Don't forbid them to do it. Right? In the proper context. But whatever you do, do it in an orderly, decent fashion. The word for orderly there is... um, Beautiful. Uh, is, it, is it gracefully beautiful? Something like that. It, it has this context of it's just such a wonderfully smooth thing that nobody has to question it. Okay. Here's Paul's point. Now, I do want to deal with this because I know you're curious. Here's the part. 34, 35. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, do you see why I skipped it? Because some of you are already mad, even though I told you don't be mad. And some of you are already thinking, well, that's the biggest, most important thing in all of the text. No, it's not. Right? The text is about something else. This is a subpoint to that text. And it's necessary for us to discuss it. It's necessary for us to understand it. Right? But I, I want to caution you as we do. Don't elevate it to something else. Now, is Paul really saying there that women are not allowed to speak in church? No. He's not. I can tell you he's not because if I go back to chapter 11... Chapter 11, I, I preached to you about headship, right? Where Paul says it is, it is appropriate for the men of the church to serve as the elders. He does not permit women to be elders. And he ties that to creation, right? So that's not about the culture they live in. That's about the created order, right? So it's not just a one-time thing. It's a permanent thing. He says this is the way we do it, right? We, we don't allow this, right? But he also says in that text that It's good for women to prophesy and pray in the church. He's already told us that. He's told us that women prophesy and pray in the church. So he's not contradicting himself here, right? So you're like, well, then why does it say that? Well, here's what he's talking about. This is very clearly in the context of discerning prophecy, very clearly, he's in the middle of talking about discerning prophecy. Right? He, he started by saying, like, we have to weigh the prophecies. Prophets have to be subject, right? And, and he's, he's talking about, let's make sure that this is really from God that we're sharing. And, and then there's this about, so, so that's not a job for the women of the church. Okay, and then he moves on and he says, and, and you're not the only church that, that exists, right? Like you can't have something different that contradicts the rest of God. It's all in the context of this understanding prophecies. So the question we answer here is, why is this a job for the men of the church? To, to understand and dig into these prophetic teachings. Well, because it's a job for the elders of the church. And, and God has already told us that the leaders, the elders of the church, are to be men. Right? And so here he's saying, in all the churches, this is the way it works. Now, the fact that women are told to keep silent in this isn't mean that they can't talk in church. It's in the discerning of the prophecies. Because here's what would happen. Right? Women in this, they, they've not... In all of... We've talked about this before, but in all of Rome, and all of Greece women were not valued and educated the same way that men were, right? And so what would happen is it would create chaos because you would have women that didn't have a base knowledge. They're getting it now. Paul has said, in Christ, we're all free, right? Jew, Greek, slave, 
free. Like, but we're all unified in this. We're all one in the body. Men, women, we're all together. And so now we can all learn. Paul says in, in Timothy, he's like, women should be learning in the body. This is new, right? That's a new thing that women should be learning in the body. Um, that's not always the way that it was. But in this context, as the elders are having conversations, as the leaders of the church are having conversations about that prophecy and whether or not it's legitimate, right? That is not the time, right? Paul says that's not the time to be expressing this newfound freedom. Because as we're expressing this newfound freedom, it's causing problems and chaos, Right? And, and we're arguing about whether this is the word of God or it's not the word of God. Let's stop that. Let the elders dictate this. So Paul is not suggesting that women should not speak in church ever in the context of discerning the value of the prophecies. He's giving very clear instruction, though, that that's a job that's left to the elders of the church. If you've got more questions about that, which I'd imagine you might... I would love to dig in and have more conversation with you. We could talk about that, but I don't want to linger too long here because this isn't the point of the text. The point of the text is proper order in worship. Okay? So, there are some simple questions about them. What do we do here at Blessed Hope? Paul's talked about spiritual gifts. He's talked about the body and how the gifts make up the body. He's talked, about, um, he's talked about the fact that love is the most important thing. And if we don't have love, none of the gifts will even matter. But if we operate in love, everything's going to be okay. Then in love, he says, prophecy is better than tongues because it builds up the church. Tongues are okay as long as there's interpretation. And this is how to do it orderly so that there's not chaos. So what does that mean for us here at Blessed Hope? Well, here is our position. Here at Blessed Hope Community Church, while we believe the sign gifts are still active... Right? We do not, as a church, you don't have to believe this to be part of the church, but as a church, we do not have a stated position of these gifts have ceased. If you believe they've ceased, that's fine. If you believe they continue, that's okay. As a church, we do not have a position that says these gifts have ceased. And we won't operate that way. We believe they're still active and they're still useful for edifying and building up the church in, in, in ways. However, we do not typically create space in our corporate worship service for spontaneous prophecy or prophetic tongues. What that means when I say create space, it means we don't say to you, hey, between worship songs, if you feel like God's giving you a message, you should stand up and shout it. And then we'll stop everything and we'll start to discern what we think about that message and then we'll dig into it. And then we'll continue with our worship service. We don't create space for that. Some churches do. We do not. We don't, we're not mad at those gifts. We believe they might still exist. In the middle of, of a worship song, we don't let somebody stand up and say, whoa, time out. I have a tongue. God is laying on my heart a message in tongues, and I'd love to share it. Is there anybody here that's ready to interpret? No? All right, we'll skip it. Yes? All right, let's do it. Like, some churches have that system in place, and it works for them. We do not. That's not the way we do it. We don't believe the gifts have ceased, but we don't create space for them in our corporate worship setting. We do create space other places. Let's get into it. Okay, here's why we do it the way we do it. One, uh, there's four reasons why we do it the way we do it. Or three and then one, one fact to know. One, we have this. The early church did not. In front of us, we have the authoritative, inerrant word of God. This is, this is the word of God that we have access to. In its fullness, and it is inerrant, it is accurate, it is perfect, it is living and active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it separates bone and marrow, soul and spirit. This is what we need. Right? This is the prophecy of God for the church today. We have what we need. Right? And, and it's a benefit that we have that the early church didn't have. And so while there's nothing wrong with prophetic words from the Lord, we will focus our attention less on those and more on the word that God has given us that we can hold and we can have and we can read and we can ingest and we can pray over and I can share with you. And instead of creating space for a new revelation from the Lord, instead what we create space for is, what does this mean? 
What are we saying? What does God want us to know from this? That's called exegeting, by the way. As we exegete scripture, we take scripture and we, we pour through it. We chew through it in understandable ways, we hope, so that we can understand what God wants from us. And so one of the reasons we don't create space for those things, even though we think they exist, we don't create space in the corporate worship setting is because we have decided to give that space to this. And we feel good about that. Two, order, respect, and consideration are key. Right? It becomes difficult. Remember the early church was small groups meeting in homes. Not larger groups meeting in this gathering. And in a larger group meeting in this gathering, it is more difficult to create space for spontaneous prophecy and prophetic tongues while maintaining order, respect, and consideration. Is it impossible? No. But it's difficult. That coupled with the fact that we give priority to the word of God that we can have in hand, then, then that's what we're going with. Now, some people would ask me, Matt, aren't you worried about what you're going to miss out on? Like, what if God gives me a prophecy to share and you don't get to hear it because you didn't create space? Aren't you worried that you're going to miss out? And, and, and listen, with all sincerity, two things. No, I'm not. And two, we could still hear it even if we're not hearing it from the platform, right? There are still opportunities. If you feel like God is laying something on your heart, like God is speaking directly to your heart, something to be shared, great. It's got to be vetted. Go talk to an elder. Let's have a conversation. Let's figure out what that message is and the best way to get it to the body. Whether Is that a testimony? Is that coming up on a Sunday morning and sharing this truth? It doesn't have to happen right in the moment for us to be able to have that, that information that God wants us to have, that encouragement God wants us to have. Is it shared um, through a video that we email out or on Facebook? I don't know. There's all kinds of different ways that we might do that. Here's the other thing. Listen to me. We firmly believe that God is as active in our planning as he is in the moment, right? When we were planning and praying over this service on Tuesday, right? And David's giving me songs and we're having this conversation about what are we going to sing and what's the point of the message. And as I'm writing this and we're going over these notes and he and I have done that, I sit in Malia's office and we do it. And we have these conversations. The Holy Spirit is just as active in what he wants to communicate to the body in those moments as he is right this second. It's the benefit of having the word of God in front of us is that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and prepare us through that. So because of the size of the church, because of these other things, and because of the context of what Paul's talking about with the early church, we do believe there's space for this. But out of consideration and order and respect, it's not in the public gathering, um, but instead it's in other ministry spaces. You'll notice there's other things we don't do. Go back to, to verse 26. He's like, some people have a hymn prepared when they come to church. Some people have their own teaching prepared when they come to church. Some people have their own lesson they want to share. Some people have their own thing. Like, like so Paul's saying, in the context of what church looked like then, everybody would come prepared to share something. Well, we don't do that, right? We're not just talking about tongues and prophecy. We don't do that in general. When we come together, we come together in an ordered way, right? But you know where there's space for those things? Small groups? I would encourage you, listen, if, if you're not involved in a small group of people, a community group, an opportunity to share those things, an opportunity to pray with one another, an opportunity to give encouragement to one another, you're missing out. I can tell you that I have Pastor Lowell, one of our elders is a retired pastor. I can tell you that Lowell has spoken to my heart on numerous occasions by bringing me a specific word. Like, Matt, God, God wants me to communicate this to you, and it has brought clarity or encouragement, and, and he is ministering and building up the body. Is it from the platform? No. Is it happening? Absolutely. There are a lot of ministry spaces that exist for the flourishing and using of these gifts that don't need to be from the platform. 
And the last thing here, just, just the truth, corporate worship is flexible and fluid when it comes to order. The way we do it today is not the way we will do it tomorrow, right? The way we do it today is not the way another church has to do it. The way we do it today isn't the way the first century church did it. It's fluid. There are things that never change. The gospel, the word of God, they are unchangeable. The structure, that can be fluid as long as it glorifies God, it builds up the church, and it's not chaotic. And so, with that, we close these four or five weeks, however long it's been, talking very specifically about spiritual gifts that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. And I'll end with this. Three questions. One, are you submitted? Two, are you available? Three, are you obedient? Matt, am I walking in my spiritual gift? Am I using my talents for the Lord? Am I doing these things? Here's the questions. Here's how you vet this. Are are you submitted to the Lord? Have you submitted to the Holy Spirit? If you haven't submitted to the Holy Spirit, then you don't need to worry about spiritual gifts. You've got a heart posture that's, that's not right. Sometimes we've submitted, but we just aren't available. We haven't created space for God to prompt us. We got to get ourselves available. And sometimes God prompts us all the time and we just refuse. We're just disobedient. So here's my ask for you as we close in this chunk of the letter. Are you as submitted as you want to be? Are you as available as you should be? And are you as obedient as you'd like to be? These are fluid There are times in my life that I'm submitted and available and obedient. And then there are times in my life when I struggle with it. But my ask for you this morning, right now, is is this something you'd like to say to God? If you'd like to say to God, I'm submitted to you, God. Holy Spirit, I'm submitted. And if you'd like to say to God, man, I am available. And if you'd like to say to God, help me to be obedient in these things, then, then... There's no time like now. So here's what I'm going to offer. Um, In a second, I'm going to pray for us and close the service. As the service closes, Judah's just going to play some music. Right? As Judah plays some music, um, as you are ready to go, I would invite you just to quietly get up and go. Swing by the faith in action table. Get yourself signed up. Do that. If you would like to linger... And just be praying these things to God. Then feel free to linger and pray these things to God and leave at any time. Better yet, if you would like to be prayed for, then come on up and let me pray for you in these ways. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind and we love you. I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for your word that clarifies these things. God, we know that at times it can be difficult. But, but as we really give it the time and attention and dig in, we can start to see what you have for us. I thank you for the fact that, that you have given us gifts that build up the body that is actively about loving one another and bringing a hurting world the hope of Jesus Christ. You have given us these as a benefit to us. God, help us to be submitted and available and obedient. Father, we love you. We praise you. We just thank you for who you are and we thank you for all things. Amen.